0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. David is the prototype for what it looks like to have a heart that is pursuing Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and all my strength. I want to be someone who is known. When I I die, if the only thing they put on my tombstone is that he went after God, I'm good with that. If that is my greatest accomplishment, then I know that everything else that I do will be good. And we see this in the life of David. So, We've been talking about this series. We talked about David's anointing when he is anointed king. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about David and Goliath, the famous story. We have all that on the podcast. You guys can go back and listen to. And we're going to enter into the next season of David's life. Now, David had been a shepherd. He goes and he fights Goliath. And we, we all know the incredible story that happens there. So right after David cuts the head off Goliath he takes his head. Now, David wasn't a big man. Uh, Saul was a big man. David is smaller than Saul. We know that, but Goliath was huge. And so David takes this head. I, I imagine him grabbing this Philistine's head, this enormous head by the hair and walking around with his head with kind of blood oozing out of it. It's so brutal. And he walks around with his head and he, and it says that he takes it to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is where King Saul was and Jonathan and all those people. So he takes the head and he walks into the court where Saul is, where King Saul is. And he's just standing there with the head. And Saul's like, oh man, there's, he said, I know this guy because David, if you guys remember the story, David had been going to the king's court and he was playing his harp because the king was going crazy. Remember? So David shows up and he's got the head. Everybody starts singing songs about David. and He's holding his head in his hand. And Saul asks this. He says, who is this kid? Like he knew who David was because he had seen him. But who is he? Who is his daddy? And they said, that's the son of Jesse. Now, I believe with all my heart that that is the moment that Saul realized that this kid is going to be the next king. Because he heard he's a son of Jesse. And he had probably heard the rumor that, that God had left Saul and went on David. The spirit of the Lord went upon David. And he was holding that that head. And Saul goes, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be taking my job. I mean, he's already crazy, and and here's David holding the head of this Philistine, and he's thinking, "Am I next? Is he going to take my head too?" I mean, no, that's not how the story goes. So David moves from this season, this era of his life, from the fields of shepherding to the fields of battle. So Saul recruits him as one of his armor bearers. He puts him in the army. Now, let's look at the story, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now, we're going to be covering a lot of 1 Samuel today. So you guys can go and read your Bible this week. Hopefully, you're already doing that. And it says this, that whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him high rank in his army. So David didn't just come in and go, well, I'm supposed to be the king. I don't have to go to battle. No, he went to battle, and he was successful so much that Saul recognized, on that, uh, recognized that on his life, and he put him in charge of other men. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. So he, was, he had position, he had popularity, and when the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out of the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and tambourines and lutes, which are like guitars. And they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. So here's the king hearing this song. He's like, yeah, they're singing about me. Saul has slain his thousands. He's like, yeah, that's a good one. I love this song. Yeah, come on, come on, Saul is slain his thousands. And they said, David has slain, slain his ten thousands. And he goes, oh. They're singing about David higher than they are singing about me. So it says this in verse 8, Saul was very angry. That's a nice way to put it. This refrain galled him, and then he said this, they have credited David with tens of thousands. But me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Let I me mean, know oh, that he felt threatened, and from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now, understand, Saul had already had some issues. Come on, the spirit of the Lord had left him, and in fact, it, the Lord allowed a demonic spirit to come upon Saul. It says this in verse ten. The next day, an evil spirit of the Lord—here it goes—came forcefully upon Saul. And he was prophesying in his house. And when David was playing the harp, as he usually did, remember this is a a thing that David did, Saul had a spear in his hand. So here's David. He comes in and he's playing. Come on, Lord, fill this place. Overflow in this place. And Saul's all like mad. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I feel the beauty of the Lord, right? And he's like, oh. And then it says this. He hurled. He had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I will pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice, which tells us that David didn't cut tail and run. It says that he stuck around. Even after he threw the spear at him, he stayed crazy. (laughs) What is this kid doing? But David was smart twice. It says this in verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was on David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops to their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success. Everybody say everything. David was successful because the Lord was with him. See, David was successful for that one reason. The Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. So David enters this season of his life. uh, Many people call this the Seminary of Saul. So David goes from shepherding to soldiering, and now he's entering seminary under this man named Saul. It's going to be the great test of his life. He's going to be a greater giant than Goliath ever was. He's going to start dealing with this man named Saul. Now He had already dealt with him. Now he's going to deal with him some more. Um, after the battle, if you guys remember, we talked about the battle of uh, Goliath. He, part of the reward is that whoever beat him would get a wife, one of Saul's daughters. He would actually become royalty. So David goes to Saul, Saul goes to David and he's like, listen, here's your wife. You know, you be, and then David said this, he said, I'm not worthy to be in the house of Saul. I mean, he, 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 I mean, you know, he was worthy. He did deserve Saul's wife because there was promise. He's like, I'm not going to take it. He said, well, let me tell you what he said, you say you don't deserve it. So this is what you can do. Go give me the foreskins of a hundred Philistines and I'll give you my daughter, Micah, Michael, Right? Michael. He says, I'll give you my daughter, Michael. And he thought this about Michael. He thought, she's kind of a pain, so I'll give him my daughter that's a pain. Now, it's, Scripture says this, that Michael already was in love with David. She's like, hey, boo, how you doing, right? She was, like, checking him out already. She had already had her eye on him. And Saul said, well, I'll give her I'll give her to David, and she'll be a snare to him. This is what he said. She's going to be a problem, so I'll give her to him. So, David, go out and give me. And how many know that that was a death sentence to a soldier? Go and get a hundred foreskin's of philistines you guys know what a foreskin is do i need to paint the picture i don't think so so he goes out he defeats the philistines he does things to their manhood and comes back with not listen not 100 foreskins but 200 like a boss that's right you want 100 Here's 200 here's like see it in a bloody bag right Listen, Saul's agenda was to get David killed. So he gives him Michael, right? Then, now understand that she's the king's daughter. So the king also has a son named Jonathan, right? Okay, now it's interesting that David gets into the royal family by marrying the daughter, right? And then getting friendship, his best friend, who is very crucial to success, his son, Jonathan. The scripture says they become, that Jonathan was fond of David and they went into covenant with one another. And here's David going to battle. When he would go to battle, he would come back from battle. Saul would be going crazy again. He's all frustrated. He's frustrated about these demons that he's got. Now he now he's, sees David as a threat. David comes back and doesn't go, all right, it's time. Let's just take the kingdom. I'll just take Saul out. You know what, guys? He's not fit. Everyone, can you see Saul? Can you see how crazy he is? You see how he's trying to kill everybody and send him to go get, you know, mail parts from people? Do you guys see how crazy he is? Um, we're, let's go ahead and have a vote. Let's, let's just go ahead and kill Saul. Everybody okay? And everybody probably would have been like, yes, that would be the best thing because he's going crazy. But you know what David did instead of that? He went in and he played and he worshiped before this evil king who was trying to take his life. And it says this, that David eluded him again. Again, David had already been tried to, three times already that we know of that Saul had tried to kill him. So David goes back to his court, starts playing his songs again, and Saul throws a spear at him so hard that scripture says that the, that the spear went into the wall. And it's not like these kind of walls. That would be easy, right? You could throw a, like a soccer ball through that wall. These were like stone walls that this spear goes into. He wanted to kill David. Yet God provides two mercy kisses. One with Jonathan... The son. Now you got to understand something. There was a lot in this for Jonathan. David was was not just a threat to Saul. He was also a threat to Jonathan because Jonathan was the one who should become the next king. Rightfully speaking, he's the next king. I mean, nobody even has to know about the anointing of David. Let's just go ahead and institute Jonathan. But what does Jonathan do? He gives himself to David in covenant. Isn't that amazing? So God gives him what I like to call mercy kisses. Listen, when you are going through these hardships, when you're going through these difficult difficulties, when you feel like somebody is trying to kill you or trying to destroy your life, understand that God will provide mercy in those moments. And we see this in the life of Jonathan, that, that Jonathan and, and, and the daughter, Michael, what she does is she creates and uh, an, Saul is looking for David, ready to kill David. So in their house there. She makes, she makes it look like David's in the bed by putting an idol there and putting hair on it. So when uh, Saul's soldiers come to the house, she says, Oh, he's sick. He's in bed. He's no threat. And David sneaks out the window mercy. Then Jonathan, there's this whole ordeal about Jonathan actually rescuing David and sending David a warning saying, my dad is going to kill you leave. So David leaves. Now all this kind of takes place over about, you know, 14 years that David served under this kind of pressure from this evil king. Now, some of you, you can't even stick at a job for three months that you dislike because they hurt your feelings. Some of you like unfriend people on Facebook because they posted something that offended you. This is the most offendable generation that has ever been. It's ridiculous. If we are going to have a heart that longs after God, I thought about naming this message unoffendable. We are going to have to, to grow a little skin. We're going to have to thicken up a little bit and quit being so easily offended, because God will not refine you if you can't go through some crud. Let's get it together. So David spends the next part of the, or a better part of the next decade in exile from Jerusalem. So David flees and he lives in caves. He lives, he lives with. He doesn't, and this is the cool thing about David. David could have took an army when he left. This is so powerful. David left alone. Arguably, David had more influence than Saul. He left the kingdom alone, by himself. He was mistreated. I mean, he had every right to overthrow Saul. Did he not? I mean, did the king not sin? Did the glory was was David not anointed? Come on, how do we get with the anointing? Oh, look at me! I'm anointed. You know what David continued to say? Even until Saul's death, Saul is anointed. So David spends the better part of the next decade in exile from Jerusalem. From four to five, four to five years, he's actually running physically from Saul, and he's living in caves. Saul had, listen, 3,000 trained soldiers searching for David for four years. David exercises and shows us what meekness looks like. Now, meekness, I've always kind of struggled with that word. But if there's a quality that we can look at on David's life, the quality is meekness. The quality is meekness. Meekness is this. How many of you have ever struggled with meekness? That's a weird word. Meekness, weakness. No, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Because David could have took anybody out, but he had the strength under control. You know what? He was so strong. This is how strong David was. He was able to control himself. Proverbs says this. Proverbs says that stronger a man who can, who can control himself than one who can take a city. David had real strength. It's called meekness. Meekness is mildness or disposition of Spirit. It means that you're weak in pride and entitlement. See, the world is telling you, be prideful. Believe in yourself. The Lord is saying, bow out. Don't promote yourself. If people want to sing your name, great. Don't believe it. Now, David didn't have identity issues. Are you with me? But he wasn't into this whole, you know, oh, you know, just... Just it's all about you, and do what makes you happy, and you know, let's just go buy cute little frames from Target and put it all over yourself. So every day you wake up and you just you're the biggest person in the world. How many of you know it's important to have confidence and to be confident in who you are and your identity, but that should come from the Lord. Your identity is in the Lord. Y'all all are right? Um, Webster's puts uh, meekness like this, enduring injury with patience or resentment without patient with, with patience, without resent, resentment. So basically, even though your heart, someone is throwing spears at you, you don't get offended. Even though someone's trying to kill you physically over and over again, you don't get offended. I mean, this is a message for this generation. Seriously. The thing with David is he was super accomplished. David was very successful, but he did not come from a place of ambition. At least not the kind of ambition that we call in the world. His David had one ambition. Remember what it is? One thing I ask, this is what I seek that I may gaze at the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. I have a heart after God. It's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about what I can do. It's about the glory of God. This was David's goal. This was his prize. See, David never won the kingdom. David never won the kingdom. He inherited it. And it rhymes true of what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, verse 5. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. See, the world's gonna tell you that you need to get goal oriented and you know make sure that it's super plain and there is a place for vision. We love that. The world will tell you be ambitious. If people get in your way, use them as a stepping stone. Right? Just go after it. Be more aggressive. Be more, you just got to get it, get it, get it, get it. Accomplish, accomplish. David never did any of that. Yet he inherited the kingdom. It rhymes true. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. You know what happens? When we do it, the spirit of meekness, we don't get rewarded for it. God just gives it to us. Because of his goodness, not because of our goodness. But can we get to a place where we say, man, God, it is not about me. No matter how many spears are thrown our way, no matter how many assassination attempts are put upon us, will we still have a yielded spirit before the Lord in the place of promotion? And we see this with David. David was promoted. What did he maintain? A spirit of meekness. See, our identity must be in the Lord, not in our position. I'm not saying that you don't have some ambition at your job. I'm not saying that you don't have some ambition for your life. You need that. But how much of it is driven by your pride or your insecurities versus for the kingdom of God? I, I don't know, man. That's, that's, that's pretty intense. It's all, I mean, you're like saying it's all about Jesus, like everything. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because we want to have a heart that longs after God. What about my finance? Yes, your money too. What about my kids? Like what if other kids make fun of them for loving Jesus? Well, do you want to raise Saul's or do you want to raise David's? Listen, success is a test. Success is a test. Leadership is a test. Influence magnifies the opinions and the emotions of others. And this is what happened. David started gaining influence and, and his view in everybody's eye was magnified. David! David's david slain him he's, he's victorious but it will also magnify your enemies so some of you are wanting greater influence which you want that you want to influence people for the kingdom of god get ready for the attacks to increase it's just the way it works more pe- people will love you deeper and people will hate you deeper it's what success does it brings out the best and worst of people your success will be despised by others it will literally drive them crazy from a jealous spirit just like it did with saul So in the place of popularity, number two, in the place of persecution. Did I skip one? Yes. Popularity. The place of popularity. Listen, when a nation sings your name, how do you react? A nation sings your name. Listen, I'm not talking about, you know, we have all these like award shows and stuff like that. And people kind of tag on there, oh, I just want to thank God. God isn't interested in you just paying lip service. Jesus said that this way. He said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He isn't really interested in you doing it at the end saying, thank you, God. He's interested in you doing it with him and through him through the whole process. That he is really the resource that we draw from, from everything that we do. <sighs> Y'all all right? I know it's hard today. I know. Me too. Number three, the place of persecution. When we are rejected, resi- now, when I use the word of persecution here, I'm not talking about the persecution like the disciples were facing. That's real persecution. When people kill you for loving Jesus, not delete you from Facebook, that's real persecution. Right? Well, they didn't like my posts. I just feel so. I'm sorry. Let's just be real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They quit talking to me, they quit answering my text messages. Oh, I feel so rejected. I understand. I feel that way too. I deal with that. But we're talking about like someone not answering your message versus someone throwing spears at you, trying to kill your life. And you keep showing up, hopefully to minister to them. And they still try to kill you. They, you come and you serve and they still try to kill you. You love them. You honor them. They still try to kill you up until the point that you almost die. Literally. I just—I don't know if I can go another day. I've been working this job for six months, and my boss is just so mean spirited. I'm like six months? Yeah, he like keeps me like twenty minutes after work every day. I'm so persecuted, (laughs) right? Okay, let's just be real. I'm not—listen, I'm not saying that those things are not real issues. I'm not trying to make a lot of your issues. I'm just trying to get you to understand that if you can't handle this, and what makes you think that you're going to handle the next thing that God is bringing you into? It's the place of persecution when we are rejected, resisted, not from our enemies, but from our friends, from our peers, from our leaders, from the church. I mean, how many people have we had conversations? I'm so offended because the church did this. And then they leave. Or I've known people, they leave and they start another church. Right? I you know, take all these people with them. Like, I would never do that. When we, we went through a, an ordeal in 2010 that we were dealing with a lot of rejection. We were dealing with, you know, (sighs) I want to be honorable, but we were dealing with like some intense like rejection and accusations that weren't true. And people were like, well, why don't you just start a church? Move, move across town and start a church and build it and pull away from what we had people that would come to us and say, should we leave the church? No, you shouldn't leave the church. You should stay. And we weren't offended. We wanted to stay. But we were being rejected. We were dealing with this. Like I said, I don't want to go too much into it because I don't want to bring dishonor. But mistreatment, listen, mistreatment for those who should never mistreat us is a test. Mistreatment is a test. Jealousy, anger, fear, hate, all these things. It says several times that Saul feared David. He was jealous, then he was vicious. Let me, say that, let me submit this to you. God doesn't teach us meekness or humility through a process that we find comfortable. God doesn't teach you meekness through a situation that you feel peace about. I hear this all the time. Oh, I just don't feel a peace about it, so I'm going to stop. Well, how is God going to refine you? How about you quit waiting for peace to come on you like some weird thing, and won't you bring the peace? You think David felt in peace whenever he? Every time he turns around, Saul's trying to kill him. I mean, it'd been real easy. Oh, the Lord's just leading me elsewhere. Yeah, I bet. I, I think he is. first peter chapter 2 verse 19 for god is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment well that's not fair that's not right are y'all okay today i'm not mad at you listen i'm right here with you of course You get credit for being patient if you're beaten for wrongdoing. But what if you suffer for for doing good and endure it patiently? God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example. And you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't go, hey, hey. You would not believe. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't tweet about it, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Oh, it looks just like David. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Are you willing to leave the case in God's hands? See, you can have God's justice or you can have yours, but you can't have both. And God's justice looks a lot more of a work happening in you than what is happening to you. Because so what we want for justice many times is we want people to be punished for doing us wrong. And God says, I'll reward you for doing what's right. I'll build character in you. Or you can become like Saul. So the greatest strength the greatest battle that David really had to face with Saul was becoming Saul. So in maintaining weakness, what do we do? Let's get practical. Yellow out, what do you do? Number 1, govern your mouth. In 2017, govern your Social media platform. Govern your conversation. See, David did complain to the Lord. Just to the Lord. Well, that person's not right. They're deceptive. You don't see that. You don't see David doing a campaign. I get so frustrated with the church sometimes because we like we like make this thing. Oh, this is such and such is a false prophet. This is such a big thing. Look at this exposure, exposure, exposure. Look, 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 look. Dislike them. Don't support this. Boycott this. Look how bad. If you got those, pro- how much time have you spent praying versus posting? David complained to the Lord. Gosh, that's so heavy. Um. But there was no record of David ever coming against Saul. He never assembled an army to dethrone Saul. In fact, he served Saul until it nearly killed him. He refused to speak against him. He refused self-pity. We don't see David going, oh, I'm just, poor me. He, He threw, today, another arrow. Right? You've got, like, the arrow with your Instagram picture, pray for me, another arrow, right, (laughs) you know it's real, come on, I've done it, it's three weeks, it's been three hours, right, come on, this is where we do, we do, this is what happens. Once we speak a complaint, listen, this is very important. Once we speak a complaint, it awakens darkness in us towards a person. I've noticed that once, sometimes when, whenever I speak something, it leads my heart in a direction. So I've really had to govern my mouth sometimes. Um, there's been things that I've been vulnerable to. Because of the way I was feeling about something. And I would just say, well, this is just, I just got to get it off my chest. And when I say it, there was some some stuff that Leslie, I'll just be straight raw, raw with you guys. I, I, I view happiness like as an inside job. Happiness is an inside job. So if I feel unhappy, then I've, then then that's up to me to be happy or not. I, I'm I'm the captain of the ship. So Leslie and I were having like this tension uh, around Christmas time. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I told her, I said, for the first time in my life that I ever remember saying this, I said, I'm just not happy. And I began to weep. And there was some strength because I was real with my wife. But when I said that, I opened something up. And now I want to repeat that sometimes. So now I have to kind of, I can't undo what I said. So should I have said that? I don't know. How do I process that? I don't know what to tell you, but I do know when I said that, it awakened something darkness in me that gives me kind of an entitlement to be unhappy because now I said it. So now I can just tell everybody, the whole church, like I just did. I'm just unhappy, right? But what it did is it awakened me to kind of have a right to that dissatisfaction, which is really up to me to control. You all know, right? Um, the other thing that happens is when we complain to somebody A lot of times we're just venting, but what happens when we complain to somebody, we may forget about what we said, but they don't. And so they'll use that to fuel our bitterness. I've noticed in the darkest seasons of my life, it wasn't the person that I was potentially offended by that I was struggling with, but the people that I talked to about the things I was dealing with, when I talked to them, then they're coming back to me. Well, they shouldn't have done that. Who are they to throw spears? Oh, and you don't have, they shouldn't be doing that to you. You should start a church, all this kind of stuff. You awaken that by speaking it. And so what happens is they feed the bitter monster inside of you. They feed Saul inside of you. So keep your mouth shut. Listen, bitterness will dull our spirit and harden our heart. So what happens when we say things, it leads our heart in direction, and actually it allows us to take a right to what is said. This is why David watched his mouth. I really believe it. Number two. Well, let me me say this. David... I'm trying to figure out where I want to go because I know, I know time is short. Let's just move to number two. Number two, guard your ears. Guard your ears. So you guard your mouth, be careful what you say, right? Number two, guard your ears. David moves, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, David moves, when he moves out of Jerusalem, he starts living in caves. Now, he had done this before because caves at those times were places that where people would keep their sheep. Remember, he's a shepherd. So if they were out grazing and they were far from home and the storm came, they didn't take them back to the house. They'd actually go to caves and they built these things called sheep cots where they would put rocks around the mouth of a cave and they would live in these caves. So David, when he flees the kingdom, he goes back and he's living in caves. David spent a lot of time in crying in caves, bawling by himself to the Lord in caves. Isolated alone while people are outside in Jerusalem singing his name. Crazy. So David is hiding in a cave and Saul and his 3,000 men are searching for David. They show up to the mouth of one of these caves and Saul has to pee. Scripture actually says he has to relieve himself. So Saul goes into the cave. David is in the back of the cave. See Saul come into the cave, and he's, you know, doing his man thing. He's, you know, he has the privilege of standing up and peeing. So he's doing that. And David sees him, and David sneaks up on him while he's peeing, and he cuts a piece of his robe off. And Saul doesn't see it, and Saul goes out of the cave and kind of goes up on this heel, and David comes out of the cave. And this this is what happens during that process before David cuts his robe – the people around David were saying, kill him. This is your chance. Surely the Lord, this is what they said, surely the Lord has given you given him to your hand. It's God. Take his life, David. It's God. It's your day. All the things that you've been going through can be reconciled in this moment. Go ahead. Take his life. You can kill him. So David cuts a piece of his robe and Saul goes out. And David, David walks out of the mouth of the cave and he goes, Saul, Father. Like, what is he calling him father for? It's his enemy, Dad. I could have took you out in the cave. Look, it's a piece of your robe. Saul looks down at his robe and goes, "My son, I'm sorry." And you know what, David? David was convicted that he cut his robe. David's heart was broken that he cut the robe of his enemy. I don't know about you, but I read that, and I'm just like, well, (laughs) a long way to go. Are you with me? And then Saul leaves for a period of time. Listen, don't let your friends talk you into revenge. Sometimes your friends are more vengeful than you are. If peop- listen, if people are feeding anything but a gentle spirit towards an offense, if they're feeding anything but gentleness, get away. People that feed your biz- bitterness, listen to this, people that feed your bitterness are as damaging as the Saul in your life. Because he might do something to you physically, but them feeling that bitterness will ruin you spiritually. So you might have to go to the hospital and you'll be good in three or four weeks, but you'll deal with that bitterness for the rest of your life. Y'all all right? Govern your mouth, guard your ears. Number three, grant mercy. Again, Matthew chapter five, verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they will be showing mercy. Why is it that we want justice for the sins of, earth, for the sins of others, but mercy for our own? Let me say that again. Why is it we want justice for the sins of others, but mercy for our own? I mean, when we've been sinned against, don't we want justice? Well, something needs to be done about this. Well, what about your sins? Well, which ones? <laughs> well, we can start with pride. <clears throat> David has a second opportunity in 1 Samuel chapter 26 to take Saul out. Saul is hunting David. 3,000 men. He's got 3,000 men around him. They're camping out. Saul's asleep in the middle of the campground. He's got a a jug of water and a spear next to him. He's asleep. So David sneaks into the camp and snags. He doesn't steal him because he gives it back. He snags his water jug and his spear and runs outside of the camp. And he goes, Saul, 3,000 men. I don't know how David did it. 3,000 men. David goes, I have your spear and I have your jug. I could have killed you again, but I didn't. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And guess what the people were saying? Take him out. Take him out. And then David rebukes. So his armor bearer, his new armor bearer, sleeping there right next to him, he goes, David goes, what are you doing? You let me come in and get the king's spear and his water. I could have killed him. Why didn't you protect your king? What the heck, David? What? I think David's the one that needs a harpist. <laughs> Romans 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable, that you are honorable, that you're not just being honorable, that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that one out. Leave that to the righteous anger of the Lord. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy goes hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon their heads. Do not let evil conquer you. See, evil doesn't conquer you from the outside. It does from the inside. But conquer evil by doing good. Loving those who persecute you, who despise you, who don't like your tweets. (laughs) Such a small thing. Do we really want justice to this person or do we want God's work to be manifest in my life? Number four. I have number three on here, but it's number four. Give yourself to a committed spirit. Commit yourself to the Lord. God, I want to do bad. I want to take them out. I want to speak out against them. Commit yourself to the Lord. Listen, God can intervene or you can, but you can't both. So when you're done wrong, when you're mistreated... God can intervene or you can. So gang, we get to decide. Well, can't we both? It doesn't work that way. How committed is your spirit to the Lord? And it hurts. I don't, I don't know how David dealt with this pain, this internal pain that he was dealing with. I mean, I, we read a lot of songs that he cried a lot. David says this in Psalms 31. He says, Pull me from the trap my enemies have set before me, for I have found protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hands. Rescue me, Lord, for you are faithful. You are a faithful God. See, it's time that we let go of our entitlement to be offended and trust that God is as good as he says he is. Do you believe that God is as good as he says he is? Do you believe that God is is fair? And just and righteous. Will you believe? Let go of the entitlement. Quit trying to have your way when you're mistreated. And listen to this. Trusting God means trusting his timing. Regardless of how long. Trusting God Means trusting his timing. Four years running. And he still didn't get reconciled with Saul. In fact, he spends the rest of his life warning it, but it never happens. I think the beauty of David's heart can be revealed when Saul is dead. Saul dies. And you know what David did? Well, let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't go and take the throne that was rightfully his. He didn't start singing in the streets. God has had his vengeance. None of that. David weeps. He weeps. When the man he spent most of his life running from, the man that was trying to kill him, David maintained a spirit of weakness, meekness, David weeps. There was no rejoice in him. The man, his enemy, his greatest enemy, his greatest adversary. David weeps when he dies. David never developed that hardness or the bitterness that Saul had. And because of that, David died later in his life as a man whose heart, who longed after God. And if you guys remember the story, Saul started off right too. But David every day said, you know what? I will not become Saul. I will keep my heart tender before the Lord. I will have an obedient, yielded spirit. It doesn't mean that he always obeyed. And he wasn't always yielded because he did make mistakes. But when he did, he went to the Lord. It is so hard, guys. Listen, for the sake of time, I don't want to get into it. But I've I've dealt with some rejection from people. I'm not talking about the light things that we've talked about, but I, I've dealt with some pretty heavy things with people in my life that I've loved, that I admired that I was doing life with and they threw spears and I haven't done everything right. When I followed the Lord, I definitely have not always done everything right. But one of the things that God has given, gave me the grace for during these two incredible seasons that I, that I went through one in early one in the early two thousands another in 2010 Is that I made sure to govern this thing right here. And you know what? I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter because of the stuff that happened. I'm not angry. When people come to me and they complain, I can say, I'm glad. I'm I'm glad that they're doing well. Jesus calls offense and a trap if you study out the 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 greek word for the word offense it's actually a trap offense is a trap you can you can have entitlement to it all day long you can sit around and justify your offense all day long but will you allow yourself to be trapped by anger and jealousy and frustration or will you live a life yielded to the lord trust the lord trust his timing And we're not trusting for an outcome. We're not trusting for an outcome. Lord, would you do this? Would you see that I'm not trusting for an outcome? I'm trusting for an income. I'm trusting that God won't change the situation if he does great. I'm trusting that his work will be manifest in my life. That at the end of the struggle and after spears are thrown and after I'm being chased and hunted down, that God looks at me and he says, their heart's still pure. They're not bitter. They got scars all over their body. They've got some, bad, they got some wisdom from it. But their heart's soft. They still love me. They still love people. They're not offended. They haven't cut themselves off. That's what I want. Are you with me? Are you with me? I want to share this last thing. I know it's getting long, but listen, Psalm 58, 56, verse eight, the Lord reminded me of this a couple years ago. I was reading this scripture and it says this, it says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in a bottle and you've recorded each one in your book. So I was reading that. I was like, God keeps track of my sorrows. That's weird. Like, what? God, is that really something we should be counting? I mean, the things that I'm bummed about, is that something you really should be counting? I mean, I would like to forget about the things that I'm sorrowful about, the things that I'm sad, the things that I'm broken about. I'd like to forget about those things. But God keeps track of those. I'm really sure that I want God to do that. So I asked the Lord. I said, God, what? Why do you keep track of my tears? You keep my tears in a bottle? I mean, that's creepy, Lord. And the reason why God keeps track of your tears is because it says in Psalms 126, verse 6, is that those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And God said, because every tear that you cried, I'm a God of justice. And I will make sure that goodness comes your way. I will make sure that for every bit of sorrow, that you'll receive ten times the amount of joy in your life.